you can turn in your Bibles to Mark in chapter 13, as we come now before God's Word. That's the Gospel of Mark. This will be the last Sunday that we're in chapter 13. And as you turn there, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, we've just sung that we need you every hour, and that is so very true. And we need you now as we come before your word. On a day like this that is cloudy outside, it's easy to become sleepy and tired. Would you help us to be awake, awake in our minds and awake in our hearts? Father, guide us by your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark in chapter 13. We'll be starting in verse 24. This is Jesus speaking here, starting in verse 24. He says this. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word. This is now the final section, the third week, as we've gone through uh, chapter 13, which is a long teaching of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And through the whole chapter, you can hear his main point. It's this sort of constant beating of a drum as he reads through. You can see verse... Uh, they're all in the same vein. Verse 5, he says, See, verse 9, be on guard. Or uh, verse 13, endure. Verse 23, be on guard. Verse 33, be on guard. Verse 33, stay awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, stay awake. Verse 36, stay awake. Stay awake, stay awake. And boy, doesn't that make it easy on me as a preacher because Jesus is the one to tell you stay awake here. But you can hear them all bound together, right? You can't miss it. 
Jesus' main point here is to call us to attention. So as Jesus is telling us, or telling the disciples here of things to come, he is not giving us a map, and he is not giving us a calendar. We think sometimes those things will help us, but they'll actually hinder us. Instead, Jesus gives us something more like a trumpet call, maybe, and glasses to see it well. It's a shout to us. Now, this whole chapter is in the context of Jesus speaking privately uh, to four disciples, uh, um, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, but it's not only to them. You can hear it at the very end, sort of the capstone of what he said here in verse 37. He says, and what I say to you, four disciples, I say to all. So this is to go beyond those disciples to, uh, to others, to, to really us even. And what I say to you, I say to all, those last words are, stay awake. Because this day is coming. So, if Jesus is speaking to us, the question then in my mind is, what is coming on that day? What is it that I'm supposed to stay awake for? If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you know that Jesus' primary concern in talking about this is the fall of the temple. Uh, the disciples in verse 4, when they first ask him the questions, they say, when will these things be? Meaning, when is the fall of the temple going to happen? And Jesus, later in verse 30, says, this generation won't pass away until all of these things, meaning all the stuff related to the temple, take place. And that happened. It did happen in the disciples' lifetime. But I think there's more in this discussion than just talking about the fall of the temple in the first century. Scholars have talked about this for centuries now, but I think it's fairly clear in here Jesus is interweaving something much bigger than just the fall of the physical temple. You can hear it the clearest in the first verses that we read here, starting in verse 21, when he talks about the sun being darkened the moon not giving its light, and the stars falling from heaven, and then the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel 7. Jesus used it in reference to himself. This Son of Man is coming in the clouds. We call this the second coming. And in the process of this second coming, the entire universe is shaken. The sun feels it. The moon feels it. The stars feel it when Jesus comes on that day. So, what is actually happening on this day? The Old Testament is full of similar imagery where the sun is losing its light, the stars are falling, the moon is stopping. And usually, when that sort of cosmic imagery is used in the Old Testament, it's a sign of judgment. Um, Isaiah, verse 13. Here's just one example. I could give you a whole list, but you can hear it here. Isaiah, chapter 13, starting in verse 9. Isaiah writes this, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel 
with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. I will lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. We don't usually put a verse like that on our refrigerator. It's a little scary. And it's supposed to be. Because when the Son of Man comes, this is both good and bad news. It's bad news because the judgment, this is not just now the judgment of God, but Jesus himself is executing this. His judgment is fierce. And when he comes, he will be more terrible than even the abomination of desolation, which we talked about last week. The Son of Man will come in wrath against all sin. And it will shake the very cosmos. That's how serious sin is. When the Son of Man comes, it will be bad news in some sense, but it's also good news for some. You can see in this text that the Son of Man, when he comes, he gathers his people. These are the, the ones who have the righteousness of Christ, who have come to Christ by faith. Now, when he gathers his people, this is not talking about the rapture. You hear that word all over the place? The word itself doesn't appear in Scripture, and I don't think even the concept appears in Scripture. Some get that idea from uh, Matthew's Gospel when he's talking about what Jesus says here. And some are taken away and some are left, and he compares that situation to the days of Noah. Um, but it's not believers in the days of Noah which are taken away, remember. So when the Son of Man comes to gather his elect, they're not being beamed out this is not a left-behind scenario. I know that used to scare me to death as a kid. Um, but that's not what's happening here. Otherwise, there would be no call for believers to endure, to stay awake, to be on guard. If he just beams you out of that situation, he wouldn't be calling us to these sorts of things. But instead, Jesus is saying, in those days, the Christian will experience trouble and yet they will be gathered by the Lord. So don't be afraid. But we do want to stay awake. We do want to be waiting for the salvation of the Lord Jesus to be completed. Paul gets at this idea in 1 Thessalonians 5. You should turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a big section of verses, but it's uh, helpful to us as Jesus is talking in Mark. And I think it's important for us to read it all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll start in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. 
For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In all of this, you can hear Paul talk about a similar thing, that there is coming destruction for some, and yet there is coming salvation for those who are in Jesus. And he says that day is going to come like a thief. I think that metaphor, analogy, what's the right word? I think analogy. That analogy throws me off a little bit. He's going to come like a thief. Because it makes it sound like Jesus is trying to be sneaky. You know, that he's kind of like sitting outside of the house until finally the lights go off and then he comes in. You know, Jesus is not waiting for you to take a five-minute nap and then going, ha-ha, I gotcha. You know, the thing that traps us is not Jesus, it is sin. But what he means by talking about this thief piece is that when he comes... It will be unexpected for some. And that's especially scary because in this text in Thessalonians, that coming actually happens, verse 3, while some people saying there's peace and security. They're sitting pretty, and that's when he comes. And that's a danger to us, or at least a caution, that we can be rocked to sleep in the hammocks of privilege and good health and wealth and ease. And Jesus would say, wake up. These are not the source of your true peace. In fact, if you rest in those, you'll rest in the grave. He calls us then to something much different. Jesus in Mark is rattling the cage of the world and saying, I want you to see my power, my glory, my life, my peace, because otherwise the world will be left in perpetual drowsiness, floating away on temptations, drifting into dreams. But instead, Jesus says, I want you to be on guard. I want you to stay close to me, and I want you to watch for my coming, because you don't know the day. 
Now, as a side note, it's interesting here that even Jesus, by the way, says that he doesn't know the day. I look at that and I go, whoa, there's something really big about this. And we know that Jesus is one God. He's one with the Father and the Spirit. He's still fully fully divine, but in his humanity, he set aside the full exercise of his omniscience. He's still fully God, but he sets aside his all-knowingness. So it's not troublesome to us that he doesn't know the day. Even Jesus himself has to submit to the Father in this. But Jesus can look at the way of the fig tree. And even though he doesn't know the exact day, he can see sort of how things go. And he might not know the day, but he can certainly know the season and that the season is near. So watch, he says. Now, what does it look like then for us to be watchful, to stay awake, to be alert? Uh, It doesn't mean that we never sleep. You know, I'm sort of, it reminds me of New Year's Eve, the older I get, you know, the more like I'm trying to get to, to, you know, the midnight and you're sort of propping your eyes open. It's just like, when can the ball drop so I can go to... Go to bed. That's not what he means, obviously, right? He's not literally telling us to hold our eyes open, but he wants us to be ready. But I still wonder then, ready how? Like, what does that look like? Uh, You know, it makes me think of uh, when I was in Little League, which I was not a good baseball player. I know a lot of sports themes have come up lately, and I'm just revealing all of my, like, sports weakness and just not good at sports. But anyway, that's beside the point. And in Little League, I'm in the outfield because that's where you put the kids that aren't so great, at least uh, in, in, in my team. And, and, and so I'm standing out there just kind of wandering around and waiting for something to happen. And someone, usually a parent or something, goes, get ready. And so you just kind of squat and like tap your glove, even though I have no idea what I'm really doing. It sometimes feels that way. You know, Jesus is saying here, stay awake. I want you to be ready. But what does that look like on some level? uh, We know that that's similar to his call to endure. It's similar to his call to be on guard. So we're to be watchful against temptations of Satan and, and other things similar to that. But I think there's more to this when he calls us to stay awake. And I think we get some help in the little parable, he says, starting in verse 34 at the end. So the question here for us is, what does he mean to stay awake? What does it mean to be ready? Look at verse 34. He says, it, he's now talking about the day or the hour of his coming, it is like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work. The his there is a reference to the the man, the master, the owner. So the master leaves and puts the servants in charge, and while they're there, they're to be doing the master's work. So to me, that says that to stay awake is to be doing the work of the master. So in the Bible, the scriptures do not describe Christians as doomsday preppers. We're not supposed to be hoarding up cans and bottles of water for the last day. That's not it. That's not what it means to stay alert. 
A better example is the Bible talks about Christians as being the light of the world, as being people who are bringing the light that Christ gives. So if it's really true that we're called to do the master's work, that that's what it means to be ready, then in one sense that call is going to be lofty and epic, it's larger than life, it's the master's work after all, but in another sense, this call to readiness is going to be very normal and ordinary and very everyday. Here's what I mean by this. Um, a philosopher, a relatively modern philosopher, Bertrand Russell, wrote an essay called Why I Am Not a Christian. So if you read this thinking, oh, the pastor referenced it, he's actually on the other side, he's not a believer. Uh, he wrote this in 1927. And in this uh, short, relatively short essay, he takes issue with a lot of things in the Bible. He even pushes against Jesus, specifically here in Mark 13, about his calling for the second coming. And he calls this a defect in Jesus' teaching. Now, I think it's not a defect in Jesus' teaching. I think Bertrand Russell is misunderstanding Jesus, but I think it's helpful for us to hear what he says here. Bertrand Russell writes this. Jesus thought that the second coming was going to be very soon and that all ordinary mundane affairs did not count. Now, I'll pause there and say this, the second coming, believing the second coming is, is actually coming, does not negate mundane affairs. You can believe both of those things together. I can believe that Jesus is coming soon and still find it valuable to brush my teeth at night. Jesus is coming, I don't need my teeth. You know, no, Jesus is coming, so brush your teeth. He goes on to write this, which is fascinating to me. Russell says, I have, as a matter of fact, known some Christians who did believe that the second coming was imminent. I knew a parson who frightened his congregation terribly by telling them that the second coming was very imminent indeed. But they were much consoled when they found that the parson was planting trees in his garden. I think that pastor that he's talking about here was spot on. Christ really is coming again. He says so. And so in some sense, the way to get ready for that, plant trees in your garden. Wait, that, but that sounds too normal to be a thing to do. But if Jesus says, I'm going away, and I've set you, the servants, over my house, I want you to take care of my house as I would take care of it, and wait for my coming, then of course the servants will plant trees. We know that when Jesus comes again, when the master comes back to the house, he will judge evil, his wrath, in a way that we cannot even imagine now, will be poured out on the abomination of desolation, on false prophets, on false Christs, and on all who do not wear his righteousness. He will wipe out famines and wars and death itself, and the birth pains will be ended then. But as Jesus comes, it's not only in judgment, it's also in restoration. 
that Jesus comes to restore the creation that he made by the blood of his cross, that he would be gathering his people from the four winds and that he would establish them as rulers over this new garden, over this new kingdom. We Christians will be the kings and queens of all creation because we wear God's crown over his creation. That's how we were made. We go back and see that all the way back in Genesis 1. Just a few verses here. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then at the end, and it was very good. Mankind was made in the image of God, which means that we're to relate to each other and the world like God does, bringing order and beauty and abundance. This is the master's work, and so this is to be our work, too. Do you want to be awake when Christ returns? Do you want to be doing the master's work good? Then a big part of that will be filling the world with his goodness. You want to be awake when Christ returns? Make good pies. Write good stories, sing good songs, harvest good corn, build good relationships, arrange good flowers, tell good jokes, study good sciences. I think you can get my point here. It is your calling from God at your workplace, at home, and at school, wherever you are, to be God's agent of redemption, of restoration, of renewal, that all who are saved by God are an expression of God's goodness in a broken world. So that, in everything we do, even in the most mundane, even in the planting of trees, we want to be increasing in our joy in God to be increasing in our peace in God, in our wisdom in God, in our holiness in God, in our justice in God, in our love in God, until we are glowing with God's glory. And when the world looks at us, they would say, oh, that's what the Lord must be like. That's what it means to stay awake. So then I'll ask us, 
how are you doing on this? Are you staying awake? Or are you falling asleep? The master's gone away on a journey and he's put his servants in charge of his house. Are you doing his work? Or are you drifting into twilight? As we move out of Mark 13, the final words of this entire chapter, as Jesus has just said this whole big teaching, the last point on it are these words, stay awake. And I know that's not easy. I wrestle with that. On some level, it's even more than just not easy. Without help, this is impossible. In fact, very soon after this event, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed. And he asked his disciples the same thing. Literally, stay awake. This time, keep your eyes open. He says, watch and pray that you won't enter into temptation. Stay awake, he says. And then he goes off on his own, and he comes back, and we know the ending of this part. He finds them snoring, snoozing, taking a nap, not awake. And in that, Jesus says a line that's so very helpful. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that true of us? My spirit is willing. I, 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 I want this for me. I want this for us. I, I even on some level want this for the whole world. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, which means I need something bigger than me. I need Jesus. While they slept, Jesus stayed awake, and they, just like us, always need his help because we cannot do this without his strength. And we know that Jesus will help us. Jesus even died to help us. And even more than died, we know that Jesus will come again one day in full power and glory. So as we wait for that day, as we look for the day when the master and the servants will all live together again in one home, the new kingdom, until that day, Christian, stay awake. Would you pray with me? Our Father, Lord Jesus, Spirit, would you help us? Because even if we desire these things, if we want to stay awake, we cannot do it without your strength, your mercy, your grace, your presence. But we want this. We want to be doing your work because it's good that in doing your work we get a small taste of who you are until the day you come in fullness. Lord, help us. And we know that you will, because you've promised you will. 
And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.